Yeah, I think a real leader is someone you kind of get both sides of that. Like when things are bad, you're the one that takes the heat. And when things are good, you're the one who gives someone else credit. And that's, uh, in my opinion, a real leader. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that advice comes from Brad Flowers, co-founder of Bullhorn, who claims real leaders need to take ownership and inspire selflessness. In today's episode, Flowers shares how he started his business during a recession, three key mistakes to avoid when choosing a name, and the benefits of incorporating impact messaging into your business. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome for The Real Brad Flowers. Enjoy. All right, and welcome LinkedIn and welcome Crowdcast. You're listening to The Real Ears Podcast. Two things before we begin. First, if you want to ask Brad questions after the show, if you want to chat and join this conversation, make sure you're on Crowdcast. There's a chat box in the right. Second thing, there's a link there. Subscribe to The Real Ears Podcast. It's good for you. It's healthy. All right, let's get this show on the road. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Brad Flowers, the founding partner at Bullhorn Creative. Brad, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited for the conversation. Well, Brad, you, you sent over your book earlier. I'm really excited to dive into the naming process uh, yeah. Also, let's talk about Bullhorn Creative. But before we dive into all the good stuff, how about you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how this story goes? Sure. Well, I probably have a, a little bit of a non-traditional um, business or entrepreneurial journey. Uh, so I started off as a kid. I like to read. I like to read a lot books in general, and um, I think. Oh, over time, I, I kind of thought really the only career path for someone who likes to read is to teach other people about how to read books. So um, I, I kind of went through college with the idea that I would be a, a, a professor. And after I graduated with a degree in literature, I took a, a year off to apply to PhD programs. And during that time, I took a job at a bicycle shop, a local bicycle shop. I'm a longtime uh, bicycle enthusiast. Uh, I was state champion when I was eight years old. Thank you very much. Um, So the, um, that was an aside. I didn't expect to say that. Uh, So (laughs) I took a job. The real bread flower. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Get me a BMX bike. Um, So let's see. So I took a job at a bike shop and had a great experience. And I, I learned a couple, well, two really super important things. One, which was difficult, was that I didn't really like to teach. So for someone who didn't have a backup plan, realizing your only plan uh, wasn't really making sense was kind of tough. So I was kind of at this like existential crisis, and I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, the other thing was I learned I was actually really interested in business. And just the a bike, a bike shop's a pretty good place to learn the, the real basics. Like how do you meet customer needs? How do you uh, acquire customers? How do you buy something and sell it at a profit, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a good, good place to learn some of the basics. Um, and so that was something new to me. The idea that, that I could be in business in general just had never crossed my mind. It just wasn't really, I never even thought of it. 
Um, so this would have been the summer of 2008. I kind of felt like I, I was, I just didn't really, um, have anywhere else to go at the shop. And so I decided to leave that summer thinking maybe I'd, I'd take a job in marketing or PR or something. And then over the course of the summer, of course, the economy got worse, um, and no one was hiring. And so that fall, I became a reluctant entrepreneur because, uh, because I couldn't get a job. Mm. And so a friend and a friend and I um, started a marketing company. I was working on these large scale bike events and he was doing music events. And so we thought the event marketing might be the thing. And we started off doing that, quickly realized that we couldn't make money at that. And um, and so I think thinking about the last 12 years for us, it's been um, every project, every year, finding that intersection of where can we make money? Uh, what are we good at and enjoy doing? And then what's a benefit to our community? And um, so, of course, though we've changed our thinking over time as our community's gotten bigger, as as we've gotten more specific about what we think we're good at. And so now we talk about ourselves as an impact branding company and um, we build impact brands with language and design. And so I get Every every project, I get you know to to kind of throw in my ten cents on language and get to uh, do some of the stuff that I really love doing from way back. In addition to some of the stuff that I've found that I'm really interested in, which is participate in the business community and um, kind of think about the complexities of what it what it means to to run and grow a business and what's our role in the world and how are we you know making things better. Brad, that's got to be a difficult time to start a business in 2008. I mean, what were some of the struggles or constraints you ran into? I mean, not understanding too much about, you know, what really goes on in a business and then starting it with mm-hmm. just you and, and, and a partner. Yeah. And it's probably not, you know, it's probably not too different than a lot of folks starting now. I suspect there would probably be some interesting parallels right. when we look yeah. back in a few years. Sure. Um, you know, I suspect... If, if looking back now, the businesses that started in 2008, 2009, 2010, these are businesses that really changed how we change, how we do, um, how we live today. Um, and so I'm excited that I, hopefully that same thing's happening again right now. You know, what's who, who's having big ideas right now. So I guess that there were certainly, there were certainly major challenges, although the good thing, if you don't know any better, it just feels like how it is. And so you just kind of like do it. Um, and so one of the things, the things I talk about when people give you advice as a new business owner, the thing you always hear is, you know, focus, focus, focus. And I think that's, that's important. But for those of you starting something right now, I think you can also realize that sometimes focus is a luxury of, of resources. And if you don't have any money, you kind of have to do what you can do. And so, (laughs) for example, early on, um, in that, in that first year, a friend of ours called, she runs a big music event. And she was like, I don't, I've heard of bullhorn. I don't really understand what you guys do, but our bar vendor just backed out. Can you guys sell beer? And so we were like, yeah, sure. We can sell beer. We can figure this out. Um, and so that's the sort of stuff that, that, that we had to do to kind of take pay ourselves and keep going. And, um, you know, and learn. And it's, it was kind of an, I don't know, ultimately maybe it's an expensive way to learn, but um, it's the way we did it. Well, maybe the better question is uh, uh, risk, taking that risk, not the challenges at 2008, but you know, the, there's, there's much risk in taking that. Now he's, I know you said companies were hiring as often at that time, but there's still gotta be a risk when you're starting a business, uh, you are taking ownership of all the liabilities that go on 
within that organization. And you've got to find a lot of different opportunities and there might not be as many. How'd you get mm-hmm. over, you know, that maybe fear or um, un- uncertainty about starting a business and, and being successful with it? Um, that's a good question. I, I read, a, I was reading a book recently about expertise and the, the author was basically saying his case was really confidence is the main thing. And it's hard to teach someone how to be confident or to tell someone, hmm. um, about confidence. And so I think a lot of it came down to, you know, we were lucky enough to be confident that we thought we could figure it out. Um, and in, in our, in our space, at that time, like things have changed quite a bit just in the last 10 or 12 years. But, you know, if you showed up, if you were honest, if you were nice, and if you tried hard and admitted when you screwed up, that could kind of, that was actually an advantage in the marketplace. Um, And I think refreshing to some people in that kind of business to business services space. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. I think on one hand, I want to say it's due to some great uh, attribute of ours. And on the other hand, I think maybe it's just that we were stupid and we just didn't know any better. And so we just kept doing it because we didn't know any better. And if we knew what we did now, you know, we probably would never do it again. Well, what would be some of those pieces of advice or learning curves that you had to overcome that you wish you would have known when you started the company? Hmm. I, I mean, I think the main, the main thing is like, and, and I think this comes up probably on your show a lot is this idea of seeking out mentorship. And, and it's like, it's, you know, this show is a good example of a resource that I didn't know at the time um, that this type of resource existed. And of course it's increasingly available now. And especially, especially right now over the last eight months, I feel like um, accessibility to people who are really super smart and really insightful in specific areas. Um, you just have more access to them than, than in the past it felt like. And so, um, seeking out, seeking out subject area expertise and listening to people and making those like incremental changes, um, can make a huge, can make a huge, um, a huge difference over, over the matter of like 10 years. It's like, it went by fast, but on the other hand, like a lot can happen. And uh, I think you gave the anecdote on, on the show once about like, if two boats are going and one makes a small directional shift, you know, in time, how far you get apart. And that's, um, I think it's those incremental decisions. Like I was saying is this, it's, if you can identify how you're making good decisions. And for us, again, it was, you know, we were concerned with how do we take on projects that make money? How do we know that we're good at this and that it's, um, something that, um, that we enjoy doing. And then also what's a positive benefit to our community? How are we uplifting our community? It's it's if you can identify your kind of metrics for success, I think that's pretty big. So what was uh, the foundation then of Bullhorn? Uh, you said you were heavily tied to the biking community. You felt that was important to be tied to the community. What were some of the core values that Bullhorn started with and how have those core values maybe shaped the trajectory of the company? Mm. Yeah. Um, that's that's another good one. I, it took us probably five or six years, five or six years to actually sit down and articulate right. um, our core values. It took a long time, but there, I think they were pretty baked in at the beginning. You know, someone uh, asked me recently, "Why did you become a B Corp?" And it's kind, it's like one of those things. It's sort of hard to answer because it's like, well, it's kind of like who we are, and it's just 
it didn't feel like a big revelation. It just felt like it's the next small step. And so, um, you know, I think we had, we had some, some core values that relate to what we do, which is this idea of creativity and decisiveness that, that we want people to bring, whether you're, uh, doing account management or writing or designing something, uh, we expect you to bring your full creativity, but also creativity can kind of end in endless noodling if you don't have that harder decisive component. So it's like, there has to be that decisive side. Um, so, uh, uh, I think, uh, the, the values that we had were probably initially our values as founders. And then that expands as you find clients and as you find employees who have value alignment with you, and then they kind of grow and become nuanced a little. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I was just thinking, as soon as you asked me about values, like our values that we've written about kind of all of course, dropped out of my head. <laughs> and so I can't, I can't actually even think of them right now. Um, They're baked in though. And, and that's something that, gosh, it's, it's spot on though, right? It's like how you have a lot and you try to figure out your values for five to six years. And really it's just kind of why you started the company in the first place. It's just who you are. And yeah. sometimes there's not even words to explain it, uh, but people can connect with that and, and understand that, that vibe as well. Yeah. And I think now that our challenge, what we've been especially challenged with in this last year is over time, like values alignment, the, the negative side of that is homogeneity. And then how do we now take purposeful steps? Because for us, like if, if our, if our perspective is homogenous, like that's a real tangible business threat. Like, you know, if people hire us for our ideas and if we have all having the same idea, that's a big problem. And so, um, just to, just to say now, I think we've, that's gotten us to here and now it feels like, uh, we need to kind of shift again and then, okay, so what's the next, what's the next evolution look like and how do we find, um, how do we find another set of people who are values aligned, but also come with a different worldview, different perspective. So Brad, let's, let's continue on this, uh, this timeline here. Yeah. Started the company. And uh, we're we're trying to we're taking any jobs we can get. We're selling beer. We're we're trying to figure out our way. Was there a milestone that you hit that you vividly remember that says, "Okay, this can really work. We're all in." Um, you know, this this bullhorn is, is creative is going to be you know a very successful company. Um. Yeah there were a couple of points that I'm proud of. And I could think back and think about the first people we were able to hire and provide insurance and benefits and those sorts of things. Like that felt like a really big thing because before that it was, we'd hire people per project. And if there was money left over, we'd take some and then having payroll feels like a big milestone. And then, um, you know, after that, it's uh, probably buying an office building. It's becoming a B Corp. So there are these moments but I think deep down, every business owner probably feels like they're less than 10, like 10 decisions away from not being in business. Right. If you, you know, there's always that, like, I can still say, screw this up, you know? I was going to say that, that might be the wrong way to ask that is every business owner thinks they're going to fail in the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, interesting though. Uh, okay. So what, what about maybe, um, I don't know. Let's think about this. 
So you reached a couple milestones in, in your own company. Uh, you start bringing on some payroll, some employees in the organization. Mm-hmm. What responsibilities come along with bringing on more people in the company and having more things to handle? Yeah, well, it's you kind of have to learn everything along the way. And again, it's like now I think it's there's a little bit easier access to support in these sorts of ways, in these these things. Um, even though this was only 10 years ago, it seems crazy. Um, but things like uh, figuring out HR, how do you like hire somebody? How do you do payroll? How do you write checks? How do you make sure your taxes are taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. Like all of those things. Like I had, you know, I didn't take a, I didn't take a single business class. The, the highest math class I took was called college math, which is about as hard as it sounds. Um, the big takeaway from college math is that uh, the lottery is a dumb idea and debt's bad. Um, so that's, those are kind of my two big takeaways, which is pretty good. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Um, so it's, yeah, you kind of have to, I mean, for us, the good thing is I, I really like the challenge of kind of constantly changing and constantly learning. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, it, it, you kind of have to learn everything and you learned who, who to hire, who to trust. Uh, and, um, and it's also the other cool thing about what we do as a branding agency is we get such like a deep dive into companies that you kind of get like an MBA sort of education mm. just because you learn so much about the companies you work with and how they work and how they make money and how they, they deal with their different issues. Um, so by nature of what we do, I've, I'm also kind of, um, lucky because I was able to learn really quickly, uh, because you have to just to kind of keep up and understand uh, understand each individual organization and and how to help them solve their problems. So what's that process like then? How do you approach these organizations and what type of steps do you walk them through? Um, well, so now um, the organizations, we they, they're in a couple of different ways, mainly a lot of, um, I mean, it kind of gets to how do you do business development, I guess, is that the question? Um, What's your process? Yeah. So we still get uh, by a lot of our business from referral. So, you know, we do a good job for somebody, they refer to a friend or, you know, we do something that wins an award somewhere and Mm -hmm. someone who sees it. And so now we work with um, clients across the country and across um, pretty much every industry. I think we worked in just about every industry at this point. And so uh, a lot of folks will come to us. It's, it's, you know, branding is one of those things where it's, it's a little hard to identify when it's hard to identify when someone is thinking about it. Uh, there are definitely some things that happen like change in leadership, um, retirement of founders, those sorts of things. And of course, like of the beginning of companies, uh, funding of companies. Um, so our, our business development team is out working to identify those folks. And really uh, now, I mean, the, our, our big issue now is uh so what we do isn't really inherently good in any sort of way you know you can use branding for all sorts of nefarious purposes and so um it puts really the onus on us to kind of make sure we run the business in the best way possible hence pursuing b corp status because we felt like that gave us the roadmap for how to do that and some some legitimacy that we were actually doing it and um the other is, is seeking clients who are 
who are values aligned and who are making a positive impact. And so that's, that's a lot of what we do now is think through who's, uh, who's values aligned with us and how can we, how can we help them? And I think, um, over time we've gotten a certain expertise because, uh, I think impact organizations all have similar problems, uh, when it comes to talking about themselves, it's, it's, um, it's a space to where it's, um, there are certain specific issues. And so it's like, for one, you don't want to feel like you're grandstanding. You don't want to feel like you're using your impact just as a marketing play because it makes it sound disingenuous or in your industry, maybe there are other bad actors that you don't want to be lumped in with. So there are several specific issues. So we've gotten a certain expertise in helping those folks kind of talk through um, and, and communicate what makes them different and what actually separates them from the rest of the, of the companies in their space. Interesting. I ask you about process and you bring to me your unique value proposition, which might be that you only work with these, you know, socially or environmentally friendly organizations. These B Corps that have great governance. Uh, they have great business ethics. Um, how important is that uh, that you make sure that, that these organizations are telling their story in the right way? And how do you ask them the right questions Mm-hmm. to understand what makes them unique as well. Sure. So yeah, now I can talk about process. Like I kind of did the politician thing. I answered the question I wanted to answer. Um, so uh, yeah, so we get at these issues in a couple of ways. One, we initially, we we thought about it more from a design perspective, but over time we realized that if we talk about language up front, um, we get to, we can get, uh, to kind of to the heart of matters a little bit quicker because people are more comfortable talking about whether it's like, maybe we'll start off with a values exercise, whether it's articulating your values or it's um, sometimes we'll do an exercise and then check it against stated values to make sure that those are actually the uh, the values that people think they have are the ones that are stated. And, and there's almost never, those are almost never the same thing. Uh, usually the companies, what their actual value um and, and the, the, the values that they hold as a group is almost always different than the, what they state. And so kind of we help bring those in alignments uh, and, um, and then help thinking about the, the, the typical stuff. It's not like terribly groundbreaking. It's like what a lot of people talk about, um, the golden circle sort of stuff. Like, what do you do? How do you do it? That's different. Why do you do it? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but the process of going through that, a lot of people really don't have the time or you just don't think about stopping to do it for yourself. You just kind of think, well, yeah, I know what I'm doing, so I don't need to like write it down. And so going through the process of hearing people on all levels of the organization talk about it, because people, a lot of times, if it's a larger organization, the people who are working on the front lines with the clients have a totally different perspective than the people who are um, maybe in the, on the executive team. And so hearing from everybody can often be um, quite eye-opening. And it's, it often has, like we talk about what metaphors do people use to talk about your organization um, when we think about naming. And that's one for us is people often say, well, that really felt like a therapy session. And mm-hmm. so you wouldn't necessarily in any way equate branding and, and um, you know, some type of like uh, cognitive therapy or something, but uh, it ends up being kind of like that. Uh, it's just peeling back the layers maybe uh, yeah. until, until it gets to the core uh, of why they exist. And let's talk about Bullhorn then. Like walk us through that example. How did you come up with the name Bullhorn? And uh, how do you 
make sure that your customers, your stakeholders understand what you stand for? Yeah. So we came up with Bullhorn. You have to remember that this was the first time I'd ever named anything. And so I do, there wasn't like a, an established process. So the truth of the matter is uh, I'm refurbishing my house. This is again, late summer, fall of 2008. Uh, so I don't have a washing machine. We're at the laundromat and I, I want to name before the drying cycle's over. And so we have our list of words, uh, the metaphors we're thinking about, like, you know, how, what, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to amplify? Are we trying to provide shade? Are we, um, you know, trying to provide counsel? What are, what kind of like metaphors are in play? And so at that time, um, yeah, we came up with, uh, the, the idea that we ended up with was bullhorn and it's, it's one of those things. It's like, I don't know. I, I thought about it a lot in the process of writing the book because they kept the the editors kept asking. So, what do you think about the name? How was how was your name? How, what does it mean? All these things, and it's like, well, I, I don't know. Like, I would it would I don't know that I would name it the same thing today. You know, it's like you have the have a different perspective. Um, so, I yeah, it, it's it's one of those things. It's been a it's been a good name for us, um, and. I think what we wanted to do is we wanted a name that at that time felt different than the established agencies in the space. And so a lot of the big established people in that at that time were kind of big ad agencies who tended to have kind of law firm style names. And so we wanted something metaphorical that sounded totally different because we thought that's how we would get a shot. You know, we wouldn't, there's no way we would be able to trick people into thinking we had 50 people on staff, you know, it was just the two of us. Um, and so what would be unique about us as well, maybe we would, um, talk about ourselves and, and, and in a different sort of way. And, and that, that worked, uh, that worked. And I think that can still be a strategic thing. And when we think about naming process now, like that's one of the criteria that we always talk about, you know, do you fit in, want to fit in and sound established, or do you want to sound like you're, um, you're, you're, you know, on a, on a divergent track? I love it. I absolutely love it. And like when you like what you could tell people it would be this like, yeah, you know, I was young, I was broke, I was in a laundromat and uh, there are a lot of people in the building. I needed a couple quarters and out of nowhere, a bullhorn appeared. <laughs> and so I took the bullhorn and said, I need quarters. <laughs> yeah, And then money just started pouring in and then money just started pouring in. That's how and that's how it goes. Now, Brad, I, I was actually really uh, just taken away by like how much thought goes into thinking of a name now you wrote this book called the naming book so obviously mm -hmm. we've got to hear about you know the process for the title of the book sure. but walk our audience through a couple different steps of how to come up with a decent name for your organization your book your podcast yep yeah and this also for you working in bigger organizations this works for products um service names so it's it's i think it's a process that can work whether you're a startup whether you're rebranding or whether you're just thinking about starting something new and i think right now that's probably something that it, almost everybody is thinking about because it feels like so many things are, are changing um and so when thinking about a name there are uh in my opinion i wanted to address the the, the three hard things that i think there are um so one the first step is the first step that everybody skips is deciding on a criteria. So what is it that, um, what is it that would make your name effective? Most people start looking for a name that they like, and that's almost always the wrong approach because most people have no idea why they like names. Um, 
they're just, you're surrounded by them. And it's something we almost never think about critically because we, um, there tends to be this halo effect around companies in general, but, uh, naming specifically, you think, well, Apple's a great name because I associate it with the product that the, the product in my pocket or the way, um, you know, iTunes changed my life or whatever. Hmm. And so it's like the success of the company kind of gives validation to the name where at the, at on day one, you know, Apple's kind of a dumb name uh, or, um, it's certainly a weird name. Now I actually like it. I'm not, I'm not running it down, but just to say, you have to think about the criteria, what's going to make it good. Cause most people don't know. What is the story behind Apple? Well, I, there are two different things going on and I'm not sure what the official story is, but their, um, their original logo is uh isaac newton sitting under a tree and the apples falling on him and so i think there's that there's there's that narrative and then the other one now the apple kind of has the bite taken out of it and so there's this like adam and eve idea and so i think either way it's this idea of kind of like unleashing knowledge or um this idea of advancement that comes out in that that metaphor yeah um so so one, decide on your criteria. What well, it's super important, and uh, and it's going to dictate a lot of what follows. Because if you're starting a business and you're selling, say, like supplements online, you're going to be in a super competitive space. Uh, you're in a global marketplace. So whatever name you come up with, if you're going to try to trademark it, is either going to have to be a very obscure word. It's going to have to be a made-up word. It's going to have to be a word in a foreign language. So there are all of these considerations. You know, if you're going to sell it internationally, um, is there and does it is it pronounceable in the markets in which you intend to pursue? Um, so thinking through, and in my book, there's a there are a bunch of steps on how to develop your criteria, and you can think through uh, everything from the practical business stuff to like really nerdy linguistic stuff that I like, like what makes a name more memorable, things like initial hard consonant rhyme, uh, like, uh, a, a name like Kit Kat or something, you know, it's like, it has this kind of like poetic quality that sticks in your head. Um, uh, and so what, what kind of those, what, what sorts of, of tricks can you pick up from those? Um, and then the second thing I think that's really hard about naming is something we're also not very good at, which is, is generating a lot of ideas. So I, most of us, and just the nature of our education is, is that we're taught taking tests that you converge on the right answer and uh, creativity in general, it just doesn't work like that. It's, it's all about divergence. And so you're never going to come to a good, a good idea if you don't have a lot of ideas. And um, there are a couple of stories and I kind of wonder if it's a, if it's um, if it's, if it's just an urban legend at this point, but there's a story cited in a book on creativity and it tells the story of a pottery class. And in this pottery class, it's split into two parts. And one part of the class is assigned to, to generate the best piece possible. And that's how they're going to be graded on the quality of one piece. The other half of the class is set out to see, okay, you're going to be graded on the quantity. However much stuff you make at the end of the year, we're going to put it on a scale. And that's how you're going to be graded on how much you make. And the interesting thing is the people who made the most also made all the best pieces. And so it's, it's that same idea. I think whether you're designing a logo, whether you're trying to write a poem or whatever, if you don't have a lot of ideas, you're not going to have good ideas and naming is like that. And so I give a bunch of different brainstorming exercises because we're pretty awful at brainstorming. We think if we show up in a room with a whiteboard and some markers that the ideas are going to flow and that's a terrible way to do it. Uh, 
though that sort of brainstorming always lends towards uh, convergence because the loudest person is always going to dictate the meeting and all ideas are going to converge on on kind of like what the way that that one person thinks. Um, so the whole second part is about how to think divergently, whether it's getting ideas out of your head or using the internet or other research tools as a way to learn new words, because it's, you don't have to have heard of the word, you know, it's, 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 it's a, the fun thing about naming is you get to learn about a lot of weird, obscure things that no one else knows or cares about. Uh, but it's a really rich place for, um, for cool words. And then the third thing that initially I thought there were two hard steps and now I'm realizing there's really a third hard step uh, and it's deciding. So it's like you come up with what we try to do at Bullhorn is we try to have, you know, two to 250 ideas. And then we want to whittle that down with the criteria to about 40. And then we want to look at some industry research and cut that down to 20 or 30. And then we kind of run it by the team internally to see what what we want to understand, like, how are people going to react to the names? And so, uh, which is the, another important step was how is how, because we all have different kind of cultural backgrounds. And so we have a, just a different relationship with language and words, whether we, you know, maybe spoke Spanish growing up or, um, you know, weren't able to, uh, were late readers. And so your vocabulary is just different. Um, so we run it by everyone internally, cut it down to 10, pitch that 10 to clients. And then our clients generally, once they have that 10, usually they'll hate four of them. Uh, they'll kind of go back and forth, cut it to three. And then it's usually a really, really hard decision. And, um, and so in the book, there are a couple of ways of how you can help cut it down. And then some, some early steps you can take to go through the trademarking process uh, and, and just thinking about how competitive is your, is your landscape and, and how um, unique does the name need to be. Now, Brad, let's, let's stop there before we go into step four and five. The brainstorming process. What you just described is essentially what I do. You a whiteboard, yeah. we throw it on there, and usually it's, it's myself or someone else controlling that conversation. And so how do we get around this where, where you, we don't have one leader, because this is in, happens in leadership too, one person kind of controlling this group think? What are some strategies that you do to make sure that we have a, a, a flow of ideas coming in with different opinions and, and backgrounds? Uh, the best, like basic structural thing you can do to have more ideas and a wider diversity of ideas is to make sure all the brainstorming happens first. And then when you come together, you're talking about you're not starting the brainstorming process in the room but you're talking about all of the ideas. So uh, depending on what you're leading through, I mean, maybe it's about a strategic direction, you know, should we take on, or like for you, maybe it's like um, we need content ideas. And so how many, uh, what sort of people should we seek out this year? So rather than coming in the room with a whiteboard and starting to make a list, have everyone say, I want you to come into this meeting with 50 ideas Mm. and then we're going to throw them all up and, And so instead of coming up with 20 or 30 similar ideas in the room, you know, you might get a really super wide range um, and you'll have a couple hundred to look at rather than, you know, the 20 to 30 that you would otherwise do. So structurally, that's the number one thing I would do to change. Um, And the other thing is also changing up, changing up the leadership, assigning a different leader and a person to take notes each time also, I think is helps and empowers people because just different people, even on the same team have different ways of drawing out ideas and the results are just different. 
Um, and we're, I'm noticing that now as I'm starting to step back from naming projects and focus on other things where I, historically I've led all of them. And now I'm starting to give the people on the team are, are stepping up and doing a great job. And so it's like, it's interesting to see how like the types of names that are coming up are like fundamentally different, which is like, cool, you know? Exactly. So step three, we're compiling all these names. And then so I, what, what I did, I, I gave you the big synopsis yeah. of the three hard. So there are the three hard, those are the three hard parts. Now in the book, actually, because I think the idea generation is the most important and the most difficult part, I break that into three steps. Okay. And so the five steps are criteria. Um, and then there's this list building brainstorming part. And, and that's broken up into a couple of different tools. So for example, if you're trying to come up with um, it's, it's nice to start off with lists of words. I'm actually looking at a bunch of words right now from a project I was working on. Um, and, um, so what I'll do is I'll start off with, um, I guess the other thing about brainstorming that can be really hard is staring at the white paper. So giving people a starting point, like I mentioned earlier, saying like, I want 50 content ideas for the meeting next Friday or whatever. Um, and in this case, what we do is to help people think more broadly and come up with more interesting word combos, we'll do things like, okay, uh, uh, give five metaphors that people will give for your organization. And so for you, mm -hmm. someone might say, oh, you're like higher education for business leaders, mm -hmm. or you're like my MBA program or something like that. I like that. Um, or you're, you're like business entertainment. And so if you start off with like an entertainment entertainer and start off with uh MBA professor, and then you start brainstorming lists, the words you generate are going to be totally different. And so that's just another tool to generate a wide range of, of ideas. Mm. And, uh, and so then we go from there to then turning those ideas into actual names. And so there, there are, what we do is we break down the name categories. Um, and so you think of real words like Apple, there are uh, made up words like Skype, there are obscure origin words like Zillow, uh, com uh, combos like Facebook, affixed like Spotify, where it's like a word spot, then the, the IFY affix on the end, um, people, place names. So we break it down into seven or eight categories. And what we do is we just create a spreadsheet with those across the top and then start making sure uh, that's just another way to ensure you get a wide, diverse range. Because even if you have great brainstorming techniques, most people will be drawn toward a certain name type. And so it's easy to generate lots of real words, but maybe it's hard to take, okay, but if we're going to have to come up with something unique, maybe it should be more made up sounding, or maybe it should be, um, you know, something more like a, a combo sort of word. And again, these kind of relate back to the criteria too. Um, and so criteria, list generation, um, turning those from words into names, then using research to kind of expand the list. So a lot of times when you think about the, the metaphors that you got into, if you, all of those, there will be long, like kind of jargon lists online that of, of just weird words. So say like, you know, real leaders helps, um, helps uh, impact leaders navigate their, uh, business life or something like that. And so navigation is this metaphor for you. Mm. And then if you look in the history of shipbuilding, the history of what's an astrolabe, you know, what's the keel, what are, what do these words mean? And so you can end up with these, all these kind of like, you can go really deep and drill down into all these really obscure topics. And that's where you can get names that sound like real word or are real words, but are obscure enough to be ownable as a business. 
Well, speaking of ships, I think it was an, an interesting way you opened the book. Uh, yeah. w- talking about Captain Vancouver. I love history. I'm a history buff. And so when I started out and I was reading, I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I hope he's from the Pacific Northwest like I am because all of these places that he's naming and folks listening out there, um, Brad basically is giving the story of Captain Vancouver. And, and Captain Vancouver uh, is, is responsible for mapping the the northwest passage right and uh and however when he's going up uh he's naming all these places after himself his best friends his other captains on the boat the the wife of his best friend um and little did you know brad there's actually two places in the northwest called vancouver one is where i i am from vancouver washington and one is in vancouver canada which is the the name port so the the traditional easy way out, people, is to give a name like uh, Vancouver or Releaders and Releaders Podcast. It's the easy way out. Now, that mm. was the question, though, I had, though, is like those guys are probably going for recognition. Like if I get mm-hmm. there first, first, which they weren't there first because we all know right. the indigenous people were there first. Right. But if I'm going for recognition, like with with my brand. Would I like could I rethink my podcast name or do you think that it's better to go with the real leaders podcast because it has an overarching brand? Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, I think it goes it goes back to building out your criteria list and thinking about it. And if you go through a naming process to to think that through, um, one of the big things you're going to be thinking about is as a as a company, what are your resources and companies at different different points in their life cycle will have different answers. And so if the answer is we have a lot of resources and we think we can own this, then maybe it makes sense to come up with a separate name. That's, that's something that's more unique that is, is related in more of like a sister company sort of way. Or you might say, look, we're kind of strapped. We are kind of trying to bootstrap this thing. So um, we really need to kind of leverage brand equity, equity we can in every sort of way possible. And so we're going to call everything the same thing. Just because we're we ultimately at the end of the day, uh, memorability, the number one thing for memorability is repetition. And so the more times people hear the word real leaders, the more they're going to start to remember it and associate it with something. Um, And so it really becomes a question to me of bandwidth and ultimately probably financial resources. You know, how much can you put into it? How much time and how much money can you pump into it? And um uh, that I guess that would be at least some of the criteria that I would be thinking about if if I were leading a project like a discovery session to say like should we rename this or not? Those are some of the questions I'd want to be thinking about and answering. Uh, Brett, how does diversity play a role in your decision making process? You mentioned bringing in different takes, uh, mm-hmm. different types of people. How important is diversity in your decision making? Well, um, depending on. Uh, depending on the project, I mean, it's the most important thing sometimes. So for example, we recently did a project where there was a a developer of a a mixed use project bought an old bus depot. And so it's this cool old bus depot. It had been vacant for two or three decades. And so it's a, it's a really great um, potential adaptive reuse project. And he has these big ideas. He wanted to have this uh, market in the middle, uh, kind of like a standing year round market. Um, 
And the idea was that the market could potentially be a starting point for entrepreneurs in the community. And the community was large or the community was disproportionately people of color. Um, and so as we started talking, he, the name of the development was going to be called the Gray Line Station. And when we talk to people in the neighborhood, there's probably not a clearer, um, there's probably not a single clearer image of segregation than the bus, you know, the, the history of the buses in the United right. States. And so the people were like, look, if it's named after the bus, we're out. Like, this is not interesting to me. Like, it feels less like it's just someone else coming in. Like, we're not going to have a say. So when we thought about the market, we thought, okay, so we really, we definitely need to, um, we ne definitely need to come up with a different name for the market than what the overall development is going to be called. And then we felt like as a predominantly, um, at that time, a white office, mostly we needed help from the community to, um, to help us navigate the decision-making process. So in this case, for this project, we hired three folks, um, two designers and a photographer who had, who had ties to the community and, um, they helped us navigate through and lead discussion sessions. And we ultimately ended up with a name that was something that they were all excited about. And we, like anything, we, when you dig it, like a project like that, when you dig into history, it's like, mm. it's a minefield. I mean, every place you go is like fraught with peril. Um, and so, but on the other hand, like you don't want to come up with a name like like deer run or something where you think of like a suburban development where it's this kind of like bucolic name that is, it's just named after whatever it displaced. Right. And so the, the thing that's good about these projects is, is the rich history, but the rich, rich history also displaces a lot of folks. So it's like, how, how do you navigate that in a way that feels honest? Um, and so in this case, we started looking back at the history of civil rights activists in the neighborhood and were able to ultimately name it after a woman who was a real true civil rights hero. Um, and so in that case for us, uh, di diversity was really important in the whole process, not just in like coming up with ideas, but in generating ideas in kind of analyzing ideas and making the final decision and making sure that the community was consulted at the right points and in the right sorts of ways. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's super important. And I, you know, obviously business folks in different situations wouldn't take that much time to make a decision, nor would they seek or care to seek that much input. Um, but I think it's, it's something that increasingly is, it's just increasingly important. I think across the board, it's something like we have to be more sensitive of history. We have to be more thoughtful in the decision-making and ultimately name naming is the ultimate symbol of power. You know, if you name something, you own it. And that's what, like you're talking about, ultimately what, uh, Vancouver is doing is he's, he's asserting power over the people that live there. Um, and, and so it's something that I, I don't take lightly. And I think in, <laughs> increasingly it's just, just going to be the case. Interesting. Yeah. I've just throughout this whole process, I've just thought of naming in a different light, how important it actually is for a company. How do you, you know, uh, relate this to business owners? How do you get this across to business owners that naming is so important? How do you make sure that what they're spending their money on is going to give them 
a return on their investment when they bring on someone that's going to give them the right name that may increase sales, brand awareness, engagement, things like that? Well, I think um, companies, uh, mission, I mean, it's like a language. Uh, the language is complicated and how to actually talk about it, like mission-driven impact companies, B Corps. You know, there's like a, a hundred ways of talking about these companies. But I think uh, who we're talking about, the companies that would be interested in something like the Real Leaders podcast, historically haven't had to think about their brand in the same uh, with the same rigor that other companies have because they've existed in a sort of um, do-good ghetto, I think, where it's sort of like you think about the old like co-ops and the old co-ops could get away with like the packaging was awful. They were mean, you know, they were condescending, uh, but they could get away with it because they were the only one who were, they were only one providing this unique good thing. And so they didn't have to like, their brands didn't have to compete with um, some, whatever, whatever other big consumer goods brand where now uh, these do good brands are kind of forced or they're we're, increasingly these companies are the companies that are really held up as like the highlight of successful businesses in general. And so, you know, um, so I think companies who are thinking seriously about their impact are, um, are kind of, uh, the, the brand in general, not just the name is, is, is important in a way that it hasn't been in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because, because it's a, it's, it's a mainstream thing now, you know, it's not something that that's sitting on the sideline. And so as a, as a mainstream thing, they're competing against everybody else and their story is more complicated. And so the name is more important and the language, getting the language right around the name is more important. And, um, you know, somehow you have to to stand out from the peers. So thinking about design in a sophisticated way, uh, you know, you can't just like make your, your put like, you know, um, brown and green and the things you associate with like organic products, like that sort of stuff just doesn't really work anymore. Um, you know, you have to kind of think a little bit more sophisticated in a more sophisticated way about what you're trying to do. So to me, I mean, that's the only reason I do what I do is mm. because I think businesses can change the world. And I think that, um, that having a, having, um, a well thought through, uh, name, uh, language system, identity system gives you an advantage in your marketplace. And those are the companies that I want to have an advantage in their marketplace. Um, you know, because I want to see the companies who are treating their people, right. Who are thinking about the planet in the right sort of way. Um, I want to see those companies succeed. So that's, that's kind of the only reason I do this or I, I, you know, I'd buy a farm and do something else. Interesting. I, I really like that perspective of a name establishes power and mm -hmm. in order to make, you know, change the world, we've got to take care of our own house first, our own company first, and maybe a name change as we're seeing with, you know, the Washington, you know, Redskins is now the Washington football team, you know, yep it really does make a, a big difference in the media, yeah. whether you agree with it or not. Um, you know, so uh, I was interested though, um, like names that come out where people trust their gut and, uh, you know, wherever, wherever it originated from, like I think of, you know, the band like white snake or something like that. It's like, <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> you know, like, all right. Uh, maybe it was a joke, maybe, uh, you know, and then, it came to be who knows right and then sometimes those are the stories that you tell so how do you help business owners not trust their gut 
when they're beginning to think of names. Um, yeah, that's that's the big one. And, and my whole premise is that what you like doesn't necessarily matter. And that's what's hard for people to kind of get past is that this is a business and we're making a decision that gives you a business advantage. We're not trying to come up with something that flatters you as an individual. And so that's definitely like the first thing you kind of have to get over in order to kind of approach the process in an honest sort of way is that, you know, you might at the end of this, if you go through the whole process, you're going to think about what you're doing in a different sort of way. And you, and so, um, it's, it's, and I tell the story in the book, there's a story about this, um, a burrito company and the company, the, uh, so you can kind of imagine I was trying to think of something to send to school with my kids. And so I'm walking through the grocery store. It's this, you know, this big grocery. And so the frozen section, there are like 200 freezer doors of stuff. And so like trying to find something and make a decision is near, it's like impossible. It's a, it's a daunting task. And so I kind of see, I see, okay, there's the frozen burritos and that limits it to like three freezer doors. And I'm like, okay, they like burritos. Surely I can pick one. And so I see this burrito and the company is E V O L is the name. And so I look at it and I'm like, what is that? And so I'm thinking my first thought is, okay, it's like, is it Evol? Uh, and, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's like an evolved decision. And then I say, okay, they're like organic. That's cool. Um, and then I look, and then I look at it closer and in the logo, the E is rendered backwards. And so it actually makes you want to read it backwards. I'm like, oh, love, I get it. And so they're trying to say it's like love. But then I looked at it and I'm like, yeah, but it says evil. It's like, so I'm, I'm confused. So it's, a, it's an example of the sort of name that as a person who names things, I don't really like that name and, and I wouldn't pick that name, but I bought you know, a handful of burritos because it worked. You know, I stopped, I had a thousand choices and theirs jumped off the shelf. And uh, the name was interesting enough to make me stop and, and buy the product. So in that sense, it's like, it may not be the name that I would pick that I like, but, um, but maybe it's a good name for them and maybe it works. What do you think is a good name to describe this impact community? Um, I mean, that's, that's really hard. There's actually a blog post. (laughs) There's actually a blog post on our site. Uh, if you're interested, uh, borncreative.com and under the views section, there's a site about like why it's so complicated. There's an article about why it's so complicated. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a good question. Like it's like, there's the conscious capital kind of group. There's mission, um, mission-driven, impact-led, um, we toward, we tend to circle around impact because, um, I don't know. I mean, I think the way we think about or the clients we want to work with is there's like a spectrum of where you are on your journey as a business owner and as a business. And we don't want to say you have to be here. We want to say, we just want you to be headed in the right direction. Mm. And, and so I think that sort of business, I think, every business owner thinks of themselves as creating a positive impact, whether it's creating payroll taxes or, you know, being able to give people jobs. I mean, they're all positive impacts, but it's, it's, I think taking the next step and realizing that your business also have some negative impacts uh, by nature of operating, whether it's you use electricity or people have to drive to your office. So they um, are, you know, raising, putting out greenhouse gases or whatever it is. 
Um, and so the question is, are you acknowledging and emphasizing the positive impacts and are you taking steps to acknowledge and minimize the negative impacts? Mm. And so I think that's something that works for most people where if you start to get into conscious sort of stuff, it feels a little maybe too hippie for some folks. Sure. Um, and then the, like the B Corp thing, I, I think is great. Um, it's been, it's, it's helped us a ton. I would highly recommend anyone anywhere to, to go through the process and use it as a tool to guide, to guide. If you haven't, uh, you can just do it. But, um, but again, it's like, it's a stamp. And so it's like, there are insiders and outsiders. And so it's, it's, it's like, I think I kind of want to cast a bit wider net than that. Maybe. Mm. Um, well, maybe here's a better question. It's like, what does impact mean to you? Uh, what does impact mean to me? I think I, imp, impact is, um, to me, it's, it's, taking conscious steps to, to run your business in a way um, like for us, as I was saying earlier, as a branding agency is not really inherently beneficial to the world in any way, like we can get along just fine without more branding. Um, but uh, are we taking the steps to give people an opportunity in life? You know, are we helping our people internally move, move up, grow, learn, be challenged, all of these things that like make for a full and rich life. Mm-hmm. And are we working with clients who are doing similar things? And so like for us, like for, for us impact, we think about it. I mean, we want to like, um, like part of the reasons why we use this, the UN sustainable development goals is to associate our efforts with a bigger picture. So we want to be really working on the biggest problems at kind of the highest level because that's kind of who we are. It's just who we are and how we think, you know, we're kind of like, um, um, yeah, we're, we're just like another one of our, our, um, values that I couldn't think of earlier is, is dissatisfaction. So it's, you know, we're as a group, we're kind of dissatisfied, but not in like an internet troll sort of way, but in (laughs) dissatisfied towards improvement, you know, we want to fix something. Um, I don't know. That's like a, probably a bad answer. That's kind of a rambling answer to your no, question. I, I like it. I like how you're attacking the biggest problems. You're dissatisfied with the way, you know, you maybe or perceive, you know, things that are going on in society and you want to use your business to change those different things. To me, that's a quality of a real leader. So Brad, the last question I'll ask you to bring this show home is what is your definition of a real leader? <laughs> well, um, my definition of a real leader is uh, is someone who can who who's comfortable making hard decisions when they don't want to, and is comfortable letting other people take credit when things go well. Um, I think, yeah, I think a real leader is someone you kind of get both sides of that. Like when things are bad, you're the one that takes the heat. And when things are good, you're the one who gives someone else credit. And that's, uh, in my opinion, a real leader. And um, it's something that I think about and like screw up all the time. (laughs) Brett, 
uh, sorry, Brad, uh, excuse, excuse me. Um, really appreciate you coming on uh, this show today. We went everywhere today. We went biking, we went sailing, yeah. we went walking big grocery day. stores. It was a big day for the Reallyers podcast. I'm already worn out. Uh, yeah. So we'll wrap this show up for Brad Flowers. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, uh, take ownership and deal out compliments, deal out all the credit and always folks, keep it real. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Oh, folks, before we uh, get out of here, let's just make sure folks know where to go, Brad, while we still have people on this channel. Where can they find more information uh, about Bullhorn Creative? Yeah, it's uh, bullhorncreative.com. And you can find us uh, as Bullhorn Creative all over the Internet. And also, if you're interested in the book, you can look at thenamingbook.com. The naming book. I can't I, I only got to the first chapter since I got it just recently, Brad. I can't wait to dive into it. Um, as as we try to uh, build out a better name for maybe the Reallyers podcast. Who knows? Um, And then also, folks, this episode is going to be released in one week's time. That's right, folks. One week's time. All you got to do is hit the link in this chat box and just subscribe to the Reallyers podcast. What also helps us out big time, folks, if if you leave a review, let us know what you think, how others, uh, when people come to this channel, what uh, they can expect and how we can improve this show. Um, That's it for me. Thanks for being a relator and stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks, Brad.